Hello and welcome to the Billion Dollar Broker Podcast. My name is Ross LeCain. I'm bringing my 25 years industry experience together with leading experts around the globe to give you the insights on how to live a better life and grow a profitable mortgage broking business that you are proud of. Welcome to another episode of the Billion Dollar Broker Podcast. I'm Ross LeCain. Today, I've got a very special guest, uh, Darren Heffernan. I've known him for a couple of years now. He He's a top broke and one of the you know top 100 brokers within the country. First time in 2022. Congratulations, Darren. Thanks, Ross. Appreciate that. Was a big year. Hopefully, I can do it again one day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you'll back it up this year. So, in terms, you're the director of Trusted Finance Solutions. So. Yeah, give me a bit of a background of you know how you got started in the industry and yeah, how you got into trusted finance solutions. Yeah, so just going back a bit, just finished year 12 and then went to university in economics, didn't know anything about mortgage broking back then. I think I finished, I'm sure my age turned 50 last year. So yeah, university was quite a while ago to be fair. <laughs> but I did economics at university and that was kind of like a, a big passion of mine, universe, um, economics and financial markets. After university, I did... Um, a postgrad at the stock exchange, which back then was called the Securities Institute, now called Finzia. Um, that was kind of my goal to get into the stockbroking world effectively. But kind of around that time, the internet was getting big and I could see that like people were trading online. I thought maybe that's not going to pan out that industry as much as I wanted to. So I ended up working in the banks and getting job that um in some of the banks as a credit assessor early on out of uni. And actually ended up working in the banks for quite a while, sort of working through different areas in the banks um, as a credit assessor, then um, sort of senior credit assessor, underwriter. And then my last job was I was an assessor of, I sort of was the, the manager of a team at St. George Bank where the brokers would send the deals in and my team would do the assessment. And that sort of was my, my way of getting introduced to the broking space. Our team ended up getting made redundant and one of the, the companies that was referring business to St. George, they actually asked me if I wanted to come and work for them as a broker. So sort of I had my learnt the credit space inside the bank, which was hugely beneficial. And then when the when I worked on the other side of the fence, I had to learn from scratch about the sales and like get accreditations and all that kind of thing and put deals together. In the bank, you're assessing the deal once it comes to you. The other side of the fence as a broker, you're putting the deal together. So that was quite a new experience and they did, did have a little team there, but when I started, everyone had left, so I kind of had to build it back up. So I worked there for about seven years and built a team and built the book and started to learn a lot about that side. And then, yeah, just progressed into trust starting up Trust and Finance Solutions with a with a colleague who who's now left and I kind of run it by myself now, but started Trust and Finance Solutions probably nine years ago now wow. and just built it up ever since. So that was my sort of segue into broking from uni to working on the other side of the fence and now the broken side of the fence. But I've got to say, working in the bank is a massive help. I know it's a, a big a big pathway for a lot of brokers, but I do find that help massively, to be fair. Yeah, and it's very similar, mate. You've got me by two years. I'm, I'm only 48, so you're 50. You got me by a couple of years. Yep. But, yeah, our backgrounds are very similar. Like I was in a credit union and I worked in the credit union. I worked in a credit area and assessed personal loans and um, mortgages and, you're right. I think it's a great background. And it's interesting, isn't it, when you jump from the fence to looking at, you know, 
everything that's potentially wrong with a deal to starting to go to the other side of the fence where you're going, how can I make this, you know, yeah. get approved and how can I present it in its um, best light? And I find that some brokers struggle with that in terms of, you know, they've got their credit hat on rather than their solution hat on. Um, so, you know, rather than, looking for ways to make a deal work they'll look at a you know look at the other th thing in terms of why it doesn't work because they've had their sort of the bank sort of hat on right so how yeah. did you find that sort of transition going from you know having the credit hat on to being more of a you know i've got to come up with the solution yeah i think when you're in the bank obviously you're you've got your risk hat on as you said where you sort of trying to find a way, is this within policy? If it's within policy, then it's fine. If it's outside policy, then, you know, can we do an exception or should we do an exception for the right client? I'm generally pretty aggressive in trying to get deals through because I have a lot of good relationships with the brokers who are sending deals in, probably why the company, you know, wanted me to work for them. But I was generally probably probably not as conservative as I should have been is it, <laughs> on the credit space, to be honest. You were one of the good guys. You were one of the ones yeah, that... I was, to be honest, sense, now I think right? about it. Yeah. There wasn't much that I didn't want to do for clients but back then they had these like no deposit loans these really high gearing loans so they were the ones where you'd you'd shy away from a little bit more compared to the low risk but I'll, i'm always of that sort of you know if it's a low lvr deal then we should be able to try and find and make it work because the reality is if it falls over then the bank's not going to lose so that was always my sort of motto but um yeah there's always of course deals you can't do but yeah, on this side of the fence, obviously every deal should be done. You know, there's deals, again, you can't do, but you try and find an angle. There's not many deals you don't take on. I have had some good advice from some brokers that say, you know, you make your money by by knocking back deals and just don't take one, don't dump that hour, those hours and hours and hours into deals. Um, but I sometimes, you yeah, don't take deals on, but genuinely I try, I try and find a way to make it work. Because I think as a broker, the beauty of being a broker as opposed to working bank is you've got so many options, even though they might be there might be some more expensive options, but you've just got so many tools in your armory that you should really be able to get most deals to work somewhere. So I usually try and find ways to make deals work in, in most cases. But yeah, I think getting back to your question, I was probably I was pretty lenient as a credit credit guy to be honest. So I don't when I, when I come on the other side of the fence, it wasn't too bad. Yeah. So you come from the bank and then you start trusted finance solutions. And yes. obviously, you know, the first um, you know, year or so in a broking business is genuinely tough, right? So how did you sort of get established and sort of you know start to grow your business? Yeah. So I probably got a little bit lucky in that my business colleague, she was a bit of a gun in that she was working in the bank at the time. I was working in the broking firm, she was working in the bank. She had a lot of referral partners. So she left the bank. A lot of those referral partners came with her. So my my role within the firm was going within our firm was going to be she was going to be the bring the business in and I was going to write the business because I was already the broker that had all the accreditations and all the policies for the bank. So, but interestingly, when I left, I just found that I had as much business basically as what she did, just from existing clients wanting to come across and you know, people hearing what I was doing and wanted to help me out. And I ended up getting quite a bit of business early on that I didn't, I've never really struggled for business. That's one thing, one area that I've been like touched or blessed with that I haven't, I never really struggled for leads. I'm a big believer in if you, if you're half decent at what you do, 
and you always put the client first and try and do the right thing by the client, I'm just a big believer that you'll get business. <laughs> Maybe that's not the, the right angle because I know some people struggle getting business, but I've just always found that always putting the client first and doing the right thing by the client, they always just want to keep referring. And that old, you know, I've got a, I've got a friend at, at the barbecue that you, you know, I've got a broker, I've got a guy, he's my guy, that kind of thing. So I've always been that that person that's got those kind of leads apart from like the referral partners that you do establish in, on the business side over time. But yeah, I've, I've always, I've never really had trouble getting business from even from the get-go. I've, I've always been very, very lucky in that area. Yeah, I think, you know, from what I've known for knowing you for the last couple of years and, and working with you, um, you know, you've got that sort of, you've got a relaxed sort of manner that gives people that sort of calm confidence, you know, to be able to, sort of do business with you. And I think with the, the banking knowledge, what comes is is what I say, that sort of baseline of the pyramid is, you know your credit, you know the policy, and you know how to get deals approved. And so, you know, when you, you're saying you're putting the client's best interest at heart, you're bringing that wisdom from many years of experience. So, you know, what you say you're going to do you obviously can deliver on. Yeah. Yeah, there's probably a bit of truth to that as well. But um but yeah. Yeah. And in terms of obviously, you know, so that you you start, you you sort of grow the business. When do you sort of get your first employee and your first person to help you out? Yeah, I was that was probably one area that I was a bit a bit apprehensive of early on. Just you know paying that first wage to someone. So definitely for those brokers going through that early stage where they're setting up a business and they're you know not sure what they should do, whether they should get someone on, absolutely was the best thing ever did. You know, rather than sitting there keen in deals and apply online and doing the compliance, if you can get someone in to do it. Actually, got my business colleague at the time, sister, who who can, who actually works with me now as my main offsider. She started early on, probably. Probably within about the first six months of business. And that was just a game changer in terms of just freeing us up to like bring the business in and having her behind the scenes, um, like doing all the apply online and compliance and following deals through to settlement. That was without doubt probably the best decision I made in business early on. Definitely haven't made all the right decisions or, you know, definitely wouldn't say I'm the best businessman, but that was really good. Um, we also went through a period where we also got some extra help with an offsider who would load the deals when she got busy. We'd also have a, a team member who wasn't on wages, but we'd, we'd just pay like a set fee to load the deals behind the scenes and to help out there as well. Um, and that was also super helpful um, before we sort of build a bigger team. But yeah, that that was that was definitely a bit of a scary step, which all brokers go through initially, you know, having to pay that wage, especially when you're just starting out. But yeah, definitely, definite game changer because our numbers went, you know, went right up thereafter because we could just focus on bringing in more clients. You know, from the time when you employed to the time when your numbers increased, like what was was it within months, within six months, twelve months? How much investment ahead of growth did you have to do in your case? Yeah, I think historically I'm probably a little bit more reactive. Probably not the best in terms of having a vision and you know setting plans in place to then to hit that hit that target for example probably do a little bit of that but probably not my biggest strength but probably a little bit more reactive you get busy then you put someone on and again it's probably not the smartest way to do it but that's kind of a bit from the old school but um yeah in terms of the question and um the team member cn coming on board and then 
but the numbers basically just probably in a year they doubled it. So, you know, we're, they, obviously they started at a relatively small base when you're first starting out, but like, yeah, I'd have to go back. It was about nine years ago, but yeah, the numbers significantly went up by having the the team member there. And from there, you see the benefit and then you go, well, if I can get one and I can put another team member on, I can put another team member on, I can put another. So then, then my wife ended up working in the business as another like processor um, and doing compliance. And then, you know, we've got some, had some guys overseas doing that as well with um, like VAs, et cetera. So yeah, we, we built a bit of a team around that, but that started from that first initial resource. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And so when we sort of fast forward to where you're at to today, in terms of, you know, where is the majority of your sort of business coming from? What are the different channels that you've got in the business at the moment? So obviously, like most brokers, you get a lot of leads from your existing database. And there's, you know, a number of leads coming from that source. As I said earlier, that that old, you know, I've got a I've got a broker at the barbecue is my guy sort of thing. So I get a lead, a lot of leads that way, which is which is great. And I'm always, whenever I do get a lead from a client, I'll always either send them something or at least give them a thank you on SMS or a quick call saying, hey, thanks heaps for referring that your, your friend have just had the loan approved, for example. And I think even that, just something simple like that just goes a long way and just another touch point in cementing that relationship with a client. Um, do you have a go-to gift or? Uh, I've actually got one, to be honest. Sometimes it's hamper. Personalise it to, yeah. to each client. Yeah. Hamper sometimes might be just like movie tickets or gift voucher. And again, don't always do it, but mainly for clients that might be referring sort of regularly, existing clients are referring regularly, they'll potentially get something. So, but every client will definitely get a, like a phone call or a thank you from me, usually SMS or phone call. But yeah, that, that's kind of the stock standard what most brokers get. You get obviously your existing database referring to you given, especially if, you, if you're servicing them well, then there's no reason they won't refer. Um, probably the biggest referral source would be my accountants and financial planners that's probably one of my biggest areas of strength in terms of like helping drive the business because often those leads are a bit chunkier so yeah and also and also probably like business bankers and private bankers i've found that's a bit of a niche as well which maybe a lot of brokers aren't tapping into historically but i found that can be quite quite rewarding as well i want to dig more into to this area because i know you and working with you, I know this is an area you do particularly well, right? So with referral partners and let's focus on accountants, what do you think is important about, you know, really adding value and building a relationship with uh, an accountant as a referral partner? Yeah, so with accountants, I think often there's, there's kind of like a director or maybe a couple of directors and then they'll have a team underneath them. I think one of the keys is the director's, will only refer so much. And one of the keys is to try and get out and meet the team and then try and get the team referring to the director. So then you'll start seeing more, more flow. Obviously, if you're getting leads from just the directors, that's fine. But in terms of getting a bit of leverage, then that's one good thing. In terms of what works well with the accountants, or even going back one step, one niche which I don't think a lot of brokers are doing is that each client that you're working with will generally have an accountant. So I've got leads from accountants, even just sending getting the name of the accountant and just emailing the accountant who didn't even refer the deal and just saying, hey, Joe Blog just settled a loan. I know you're his accountant. Just like you know, he said an investment property. Um, you might want to get a depreciation schedule for, for your client. And the accountant will often write back saying, hey, thanks, thanks so much. I wasn't expecting that. And then, you know, you'll just put them on your marketing list. So how I'll reach out into your month. And I've developed relationships just 
that simple way of not getting the warming deductions is sort of creating that out of, no, out of nowhere, mm. um, which I don't think a lot of brokers are doing. So every, a lot of brokers are saying, oh, where's my next lead going to come from? Every client that you're working with has an accountant, may have a financial planner, may have worked with a real estate agent or a buyer's advocate. It's just tapping into that sort of network within the solicitor, conveyancer, tapping into that. And I find the accountants can be quite receptive to that. Maybe they have a broker already or don't have a broker or had a broker that, have, that hasn't worked out. And you could be there at the right time, just tapping into that. And I found that's actually worked well for me. And you're just tapping into that 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 broker, that sort of that accountant post settlement, and just giving the heads up that the deal settled. With accountants, I find that they they don't always want something in terms of like a payment or anything, but they love they just want someone that can add value, someone that can talk the talk, someone that understands the structures, someone that yeah understands the structures and knows the investment property side or might be the development side or whatever it might be to someone that can add value that they don't have to sit there and explain all the financials to someone that can extrapolate the financials and and understand the flow of money especially for a more complex um, structure and that's probably one advantage that I've had while working in the prior accounting firm where they I really got going back even further when, when I was working in the banks I got sent up to Sydney to Cogra and they you know had to do a course on the financials and learning how that worked and then working in the accounting firm, all the clients were self-employed clients. So I had to learn that on the on the fly pretty quickly when I was um, working in the accounting firm because every client that got referred to me from the internal accountants, they all were very like quite complex and multiple entities and flow of funds and that kind of stuff. So yeah, all those kind of things the accountants they love. They just want someone that can understand the structure. Cause I know a lot of brokers, they don't, some brokers don't want to do self-employed because they just find it all too complex. So if you're a broker that can understand that, you've kind of got a little bit of a leg up on some other brokers. So yeah, that's probably my little little niche understanding finan- um, financial structures quite well. Yeah, definitely. So you know, you're a natural fit for an accountant because of your accounting and your credit background. You know, you know, and they love that because it's you know this is the value outside of the transaction. You you know you're not wasting their time that you sort of, you're backing them up, giving them credibility in terms of what they're doing. And obviously, you know, if they're professional, it's an ex- the referral is an extension of them. So they want a sort of like-minded um, type person, which obviously you fit the bill for, which is great. And then you mentioned uh, financial planners. And, you know, fi- financial planners are an interesting one because sometimes they're, they're client, ideal clients, don't match yours. So yeah, t- tell me how you've had success with financial planners. Um, so with financial planners and also with accounts as well, another thing I found has worked really well with probably actually had a really good financial planning referral, which I don't have anymore because the referral relationship was going so well and he saw how much it was feeding me that he actually wanted me to set up a broking business within his business to actually help him, the financial planner, set up a, a broking business, mortgage broking business which I've got a good relationship with him. I was happy to help him out because he gave me so many leads over the years. But that actually stemmed that lead, which is another way of getting into an accounting or a financial planning firm, is just showing, just showing your commitment in that what I did with him was I actually became a client. So he said he well, sort of met and, you know, the, there was sort of some leads going back and forth, but there wasn't a lot. And I thought, you know what, well, I can see big potential here. I actually said to him, hey, can I become a client, financial planning client? And as soon as I became a financial planning client, it kind of cemented our relationship and all of a sudden the floodgates opened and the leads started flowing. So I'd say that to any brokers that, that do see a potential with a referral partner or a potential referral partner. If you become a client, it can really 
um, cement that relationship where the floodgates can potentially open, and that really worked well with that particular one. Yeah, what was a typical lead? What was a typical lead that you got from a financial planner? Typical lead. I mean, it's just a bit of everything: refinances, purchases, generally good loan sizes. This financial plan in particular was very aggressive with the marketing, so they they used to actually quite kind of like a new financial planner up and coming, but they used to do a lot of marketing on um, like Google ads and Facebook ads, these kind of things. And they'd get a hundred leads a month, if you can believe that. So of those, they might get 20% that proceeded, but a lot of the financial planning leads that didn't proceed, they were potential finance clients. So yeah, saw a heap of leads. Probably my biggest regret is losing them, but still good friends, still a financial planning client. I'm happy to see them being successful, but but yeah, different. Lots of different kinds of leads, bit of everything. Not usually not too complex. Normally, a lot of pay pays you go stuff, which balanced out the complexity of the accountants, which was yeah. good. Decent loan sizes, um, good good clients that wanted to like build their wealth, so they were you know, very receptive to advice. Yeah, love it. And I think you know the thing when you are looking at financial planners, some financial planners. You know, only deal with say 50 clients and their their ideal clientele maybe sort of 65 and above, right? And they want big, you know, super balances and money to invest, which sometimes doesn't stack up well with a mortgage broking client, right? So to you, you've really it sounds like your one was an up and coming, doing lots of marketing and generating a lot of leads. So that was like an ideal mix for you know, good referrals to a mortgage broker, right? So I think, you know, when when the brokers are looking at this, you know, have a look at how much business they've actually got coming in and do they have the potential to sort of be that partner that's going to refer quite a bit of business? I think also with accountants is, and again, whether this is an existing client that the accounts referred, but even more so maybe someone that isn't, just say, for example, as I said before, you might have a lead and you know that client's got an accountant. You might see that that, that that client hasn't been structured correctly in terms of, I know we can't give like accounting advice or legal advice, financial advice, but you might see that, you know, for example, um, give an example, maybe the, the husband's running the business, but then the husband and the wife are both on the titles of all the property. So you think maybe it might make sense to take the husband off the home, the home title for asset protection. And just having that sort of thought process and letting the accountant know that can add a lot of value with the accountant where they say, hey, this this is good. This guy's actually picked this up. You might win business that way. Also, another one is at, at tax planning time where the accountant's doing a bit of work with the client. If you've got a client, a lot of my clients will say, hey, when it, when it comes tax planning time, sort of you can send it like a blanket email out sort of like March, come up to tax planning and say, hey, you should be speaking to your accountant if you've got any plans of doing any any lending over next year have a chat to your accountant and then get me in on those meetings so that we can review financials to see if, you know, you can have enough income to do what your, your plans are. And I find that's another way of getting in with potential accountants to, mm. to get business. It's all just really with that stuff, just sort of being on the front foot. And as I say, just showing that you can add value. Like what, what can you add value? How can you add value that maybe someone else can't or, or, or can you show an accountant something that other brokers aren't showing them and being on the front foot and just showing those little things like depreciation schedules and, tax planning, these kind of things, it can go a long way in trying to win a new referral partner. Oh, definitely. Because, you know, all above board things that accountants can do that will make a difference from a borrowing capacity point, right? So I love what you're saying in terms of before you finalise the accounts, what are the plans? Because, you know, I know chatting with my accountant, we used to say you can't have 
a wealth creation strategy and a tax minimization strategy together, right? They did doesn't work, right? So yeah. you've got to balance the two and you look at you know, how much money they could potentially save in tax to what they could create in wealth, for example, if you, you know, get them exactly. an extra uh, million dollars worth of property that goes up, you know, 7%, that's 70 grand in growth in a year, they're not going to save 70 grand in a year, exactly. right? Um, exactly. From a tax perspective, but yeah. You know, the benefit of, you know, having these types of conversations where you get it, right? You get the leverage, you get how it works and you understand the tax planning, as you say, can go a long way to providing value to an accountant, accountancy partner. Yeah, that's a very powerful one because that's the whole thing with accountants. They're trying to get the taxes low to add value to the client, save them a dollar. And we're trying to get the income up. But I have used that a lot of times with clients where think big picture let's say you save 10 grand on your, your tax, but if we can get the income up a little bit more and you pay 10 grand tax, pay that 10 grand tax trying to save, you might be able to get into a property. And if that, as I said, if $500,000 property goes up by 50 grand, then you're going to be well, you're going to be ahead. So it's it's also having that conversation with clients and changing that, minds, that mindset that they have. Yeah, and exactly. And that 50 grand is not just that year, it's each and every year, exactly. you know? So over 10 years, it's $500,000, for one year where they maybe paid an extra 10 grand tax, right? So yeah. it's, um, yeah, exactly what you're saying. So the next referral partners that you mentioned that I that you said was, you know, business bankers and private lenders. Now, this is yeah. an interesting one. Not too many brokers that I've sort of chatted to, you know, would say that these are a referral partners. So, yeah, talk to us about that. Yeah, that's probably my, you know, when when you did ask me to come on the podcast, Ross, I was trying to think, you know, what, what value can I add here? Because, you know, I'm definitely not the best broker, um, um, but I do some things well, certainly do a lot of things not as well as I'd like to <laughs> work on those. But, um, yeah, I probably, I, I thought of a few different areas and I, I felt that was one area that brokers are not tapping into, just knowing the brokers that I speak to that don't really tap into this. But in my 2022 year, which was my, my biggest year, that was actually one of my biggest lead sources for the year or, or the biggest lead source in terms of loan sizes, like deals over 10 mil referred by business bankers and private bankers. With those private banking deals, when a private banker gets a deal and they can't do it, Usually these private banking clients, they've got big dollar clients, like big dollar loans. And the, the last thing the private banker wants is for a deal to be declined that they can't do. And then they lose everything off their book. So a lot of private bankers are happy to work with brokers. So they you'll get a call from the private banker that you've got a relationship with. You've obviously given them deals over the years and, and build a bit of a relationship up. And, you know, I usually just say to them, hey, if you've got any deals that you can't do, let me know. And then I, the way I position is if is if that client gets gets declined, you don't want to lose that full portfolio of your book. So if, you, if it's a purchase, for example, it's been declined, you give me the purchase, I'll look after just that purchase. I'll commit not to refinance anything else. The client's got to win because he's got the deal done. The broker's got to win because he's got a deal done. The the private banker's got to win because although he hasn't had that, that deal done, he hasn't lost the whole client off the book. He, the private banker can then maintain the client with myself and we can manage the client together and then we can do deals in the future together. So... I find that's been yeah can be quite um, lucrative in terms of getting getting deals done with with those with the private bankers private bankers and business bankers private bankers probably more of a niche for me than the business bankers but with the private bankers because they can be quite big clients you don't need too many to to you know make it worthwhile they are more complex deals 
they're harder to do. There's more work involved. But yeah, that's that's one area that I've found has worked well for me. Kind of got a little bit lucky in that I've got a lot of I've got private bankers that I use at all the banks. And yeah, one one, you know, a couple of guys in particular have, have been really good referral sources just because they got deals that they wanted to do with their bank, but their bank for whatever reason couldn't do the deal due to policy and then had to obviously move the deal elsewhere to another lender. Yeah. So can you give an example of a, you know, to give it some context, like yep. can you just choose like an example of a deal that a private banker is not using yep. any names, of course, but yeah, yeah, an yeah. example of a, a deal um, that you've got that you've been able to get from a private banker and make a success of it. One deal in particular, a private banker called me. I'd actually done a couple of deals with a private banker, good size loans, maybe you know 15 mil for a couple of deals. Had a good relationship with him and just rang me up and said, hey, I've got this deal, existing one of our clients. All their incomes from overseas. When we did the deal originally, we were happy to take the overseas income, but things are tightened up. We're not taking the overseas income anymore. We won't help him. He's just bought. He's given us. He's just bought three properties with thirty-five mil worth of contracts. Um, can you help? <laughs> I'm like I'd love to help if I can. And there was a very short, in this particular case, very short time frame. So I actually got a deal done with Latrobe. Um, on that one because it was a tricky one, paying higher rates just because the settlement timeframes are very short, got the deal done, and then after about a year, um, then got a deal done with another private bank. I had a year to think about where I was going to place it and all that kind of stuff. Ended up finding a lend another private lender, a competition in the first bank, that that looked at it very friend a, a lot more friendly than what the policy is just because they, they saw the, the client was so strong and were happy to consider it and sort of, made an exception, but they did take some of that property, that, that overseas income and do the deal. So it ended up yeah, doing the deal and then actually refinancing it again within within the two-year period to um to get it the quite back to lower rates, like the rates that they should have been on initially, but just couldn't get at the time with the the first the first lender. Yeah, exactly. And uh so you got a solution in a tight time frame for obviously one of their big um Know, bigger type of client so i imagine yep. they had other banking and investments and so forth that that private banker didn't want to lose and so you're able to you know put them to some non-banks maintain the relationship with their bank and everyone's yep. everyone's happy exactly so the client's now got some lending with the initial bank which you know i've got a good relationship with the private bank i didn't want to refinance that no problem and then the client got the solution and then he settled the the new deals Plus, we then refinanced him later on, got him like much, much more competitive rates than what we could originally, just because. Um, but to be fair, the Latrobe were fantastic in doing the first deal because not a lot of lenders would consider it at the time. As you know, like there's a lot of banks have different appetite, appetite changes over time, especially with foreign income, some and developers and these kind of things. Sometimes the banks can be aggressive in that space, sometimes they can pull back depending on the current climate. So yeah, it was one of those ones. Nice. So you got two cracks at a $35 million yeah. deal. That can't be. It's about the, 28. The, it's about the, 28 overall. Yeah. <laughs> so we got lucky there. But um, but yeah, it was definitely definitely a good one. But yeah, the 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 crux of it is of you know, in terms of nuggets for potential young brokers listening to this, get your network as far as you can and wide as you can with the private bankers and the and the business bankers and just keep in touch with them, develop relationships and just ask them, say, hey, is there any deals you guys can't do? I'm happy to just try and help you guys out and just touch on those points that, you know, if you give me a lead, I'll commit to not refinancing the rest of the book, but it will just be able to provide a solution for the client. And that's always just worked well for me. 
And any one percenters around maintaining those relationships with the private bankers and business bankers? Nothing special. Just keeping in touch with them, ringing them up, giving them business. That's probably the best one. <laughs> just giving them business so that you're sort of front of mind. Again, I probably got a little bit lucky with that big deal in that I'd just given them two deals and we'd just been out. I took them out to a lunch after the, the second deal settled just as a bit of a thank you. And then, yeah, probably within two months, this come across their desk and they rang me. I was right place, right time, you know. Love it. And, and, and you, and too, you so. obviously got it done, right? So yeah. it probably then leads into our next point in terms of, you know, you know, how do you do you get into doing these types of deals in with sort of complex lending and out of the box sort of solutions? How did you sort of get into that niche? I think. Because I'd worked inside the bank and had the training and then I worked in the accounting firm and learned about all the financial planning structures and accounting structures and had to deal with a lot of self-employed clients, that was my real that was a really good grounding for me. And from there, it just meant that when I see deals, I sort of have a good guide. Obviously, once you've you know spoken to the banks and you sort of know what the policies are, you can sort of see a deal. And then you can sort of go, okay, I know it goes over here. I do get quite a few deals for clients that have been knocked back. For example, they go to their accountant, but so they get knocked back. They go to their accountant. I seem to be the hatchet man that then gets the deal to try and resolve the problem. Um, where I then, then you know, most brokers are the same. You, you get a deal, you know, you can't go to bank A, B, C, D. You have to go to bank E, F, or G because of this policy niche, for example. So yeah, but having the grounding from on the self-employed side, that's been a big help. The bank's also been great in terms of like low doc deals. You get the odd deal where you might, your accountant might know, your accountant might say to you, hey, you know, this client's earned X amount this year, but I can see by the end of this financial year, they're going to be earning significantly more. And you, you do that sort of stopgap loan where you, you, you settle a, as a deal through low doc and then you refinance within the first year as soon as the financials are up, up and running at that higher level. That's been quite a popular niche over the recent years. But yeah, just... Definitely the, the the grounding in inside the bank with the training and and working inside the accounting firm, learning all the accounting structures. That's been yeah, a really big massive grounding for me. Yeah, I, I found that as you know a broker and similar to you coming from a credit background, understanding you know financials really well coming from that property investment side. You can yeah. look at the financials in a different light, and you know I don't know about you, but you know, part of the, the my process was, hey, I'll get this out of the box type solution and then I would shop it, you know, before I submitted it, I would sit down with the, you know, the head of credit or, you know, someone senior in the credit department and say, hey, this is my take on what this should look like. And we can sort of, I can, you know, have a conversation because, with these commercial clients and businesses, it's not as black and white as a PAYG, right? The interpretation of the numbers, you know, has some, you know, interpretation. And so, you know, is that a similar sort of strategy to what you do? Absolutely. I, I find, to be honest, <laughs> even on the Resi pay-as-you-go deals, I'm, I feel I'm always ringing a BDM every deal. Just there's a period when I first started probably, because again, I've had the business for like nine years, but prior to that, I was a broker for in the accounting firm for six, seven years. I find in the last three or four years, 
especially post-COVID, it's almost like every deal you ring the bank about some little niche, you know, this is what's coming. But definitely on the complex stuff, I mean, on the, the big complex stuff, you, you can't need to do that. Like I know a recent one I've done with one of the private bankers, it's, and, that, and that's one advantage as well with the private bankers and the business bankers. If you're giving them deals, they can do a lot of the groundwork for you, a lot of the grunt work, which which is a big help, takes a little bit, little bit of pressure off. But they can speak to credit on those deals, especially commercial or private banking. They'll go to credit with the scenario and say, hey, this is what's coming. What do you think after I put it together and told them about the client and sent them the financials? So before you even lodge the deal, you already know, you're already on the front foot. You, It's rare these days that I think with a lot of brokers, especially myself, I won't lodge a deal until I know it's basically... 95 percent is going to be approved just because this is the, the amount of work involved you can't afford it these days so definitely on the complex stuff absolutely got to go to the the if, if if it's if it's a residential deal we'll always have a chat to the bdms if it's a if it's a um, commercial or private banking deal then you'll give the deal to them basically prep it and get them to go to credit for you mm-hmm. to to get some kind of feedback before you lodge it if it's just a resi deal often not for example, let's say it was a St. George or Bank of Melbourne, you might even just ring the credit team as a guide just to get a code so you can then lodge that with the deal. But yeah, I'm finding I'm spending a lot of time on that space, prepping, sort of prepping the file. But it's good because then you know when you lodge a deal, it, it, it's you've got a high probability of getting it approved rather than just lodging it and guessing, you know, hoping Definitely. for the better. Definitely. And, you know, I know when I was broken, there's certain parameters that these private bankers want clients at. So can you give you know, maybe the brokers that have never used a private banker, what is the profile of a private client that yeah. a private banker may be interested in? Generally, each each bank's a little bit different, but generally they're like, just trying to think, <laughs> maybe incomes at 250 plus and you know, net assets at a certain level, not exactly sure, but I know with one of the private banks, I send a lot of deals, they usually want the lending, the loan size is probably the key. They want the loan size from like five million above. Mm. So obviously not every client's going to meet those criteria. Um, I definitely don't find that private banking is like the sharpest in terms of rates. You know, they they claim that it's a better service and get more proactive service. But absolutely in terms of like the advantages of the private banking is that they can um, massage deals with credit and get them over the line like, that big deal I told you about before, there was no chance that was going through the resi team, like without getting some like assistance. And that's where you'll get the big value that they'll be able to give that assistance and present the deal in a way to help you get it over the line. So you're kind of working as a team to get the deal done for the client. But yeah, it's probably in terms of loan size, like I think some will do a bit lower, but maybe three million above. But yeah, ones I work with generally like five million above incomes 250 plus maybe net assets couple of mil as a guide something something like that everyone's a bit different just use that as a bit of a guide yeah no in the, in the private banking uh ones that i've done back in the day i think that's yeah that's reasonable a pretty good guide which is which is good and then uh in terms of i think you know we've covered the sort of the outer box um solutions as well which sort of comes in with some of those examples that you sort of gave is there anything else on sort of getting those out of the box type solutions that you want to add in i think with the out of the box stuff as i said i do get a bit of that from clients that have been declined i think that a lot of that just comes with experience where at the moment especially in the self-employed space which is kind of where i play the banks have been really really good in terms of new sort of solutions so some banks 
you know, and it's, it's really just knowing the policy. So some banks at the moment are for self-employed, they'll accept just, you know, notice of assessments for two years or they'll accept, which has been great for clients that have been COVID impacted, you know, got COVID income, bank might not be too great on that, but notice of assessment, they're happy to take notice of assessment. Knowing the policies like um, some banks are taking like um, directors' wages, salaries, you know, pay slips even for self-employed these days. Just looking at some of those niches that are that are out there at the moment, one year self-employed versus two years, um, and just knowing what those policies are, that helps massively without a box. Because a lot of the times, like, you might get a lead from someone and they're like, oh, I've heard this. But then you'll just say, oh, no, look, I can get this through easily because I know the policy. So knowing the ins and outs of the bank's policy, that's the key because especially if you know that instantly when someone calls you and you know you've got a response on an account that calls you, I've got this lead, I don't think you can do this, but if you can tell them on the spot, I can definitely get this done. That goes a long way in building that rapport with the account and giving them the, like, so they've got that trust in you moving forward that you are you want to be the go-to guy that they ring you and they know they're getting a match on the spot. And unless you know the policies well, then it's hard to sort of convey that. Yeah, definitely. And I agree that policy knowledge, and I say this to new brokers coming into the industry all the time, you know, the, one of the, the first thing on that baseline of the pyramid as a new broker that you need to know is your credit policy. Know you know your top four lenders, know them inside out, know all their niches, what they will do and what they won't do, because it will win you so many, so many deals, right? So many deals. Right. Awesome. One of the questions that we'll sort of close with, and I ask everyone is, you know, if you were looking to give advice to a broker that you know had aspirations and, and wanted to be in the top 100 and scale their business. What's one piece of advice that you would give from from your years of experience? Probably, probably a bit old school. We just have a crack, <laughs> just <laughs> like because you know I think everyone has you know dreams and goals that they'd love to achieve, and sometimes you're sitting somewhere and you you sort of think, oh, you know, is that ever going to be possible? But unless you actually get off off the chair and like put a few plans into place to make it happen, then it just simply won't happen. So you just got to have a crack sometimes. Sometimes you, you'll make mistakes, but as you're learning, then you, you'll you'll start to learn how to do things better. But yeah, in, in the broking world, the hardest thing I think is is getting getting leads. That's probably the biggest one. And for me, the accounts have always been a great referral source. So hopefully, like those those sort of tidbits I gave at the start of the today's session will will help help like um, new brokers get more leads of accounts because I find that they're they've always been my best referral source. Um, I know clients, some some brokers work with real estate agents and, and these kind of parties, but um, which is fine. But that's it just hasn't been an angle that's ever really worked that well for me. So I think also with that, it's also finding your niche. Like the accounts has worked for me. You've also got to find your niche. What what works for you? If you if you're someone that that has worked as a real estate agent before, then you've got probably heaps of real estate agent like contacts, and that might be your niche. You know, in your case, Ross, it was an investment property. So I think yeah, I think one having a crack just making the decision that you want to do it and put everything into it, throw everything you've got into it. And two, probably just find your niche, find out what works for you. I know there's a lot of talk in the industry about like diversification and all that kind of stuff, which I'm sure works for a lot of people. But um, I think also finding your niche and just sticking to your niche and doing doing what you know well, that is also a good angle that's all, always worked for me. So yeah, they're probably two little bits of advice hopefully might help. Love it. And so true. So true. It's about having a crack. And again, nothing, nothing good 
um, comes and, you know, it's like the old fishing analogy, right? You won't catch any fish unless you've got your line out, right? So yeah. you've got to have a crack. You've got to put some lines out and uh, you've got to put some bait on the hook as well um, to, you know, focus on that niche and focus on the area that you can add value because, you know, if you do, they'll bite and, um, yeah, you'll be well fed like yourself, buddy. Absolutely. They put on a few kilos, actually. So. <laughs> Oh, good. All right. Um, thanks, Darren. It's yeah, it's been a pleasure. So much, uh, you know, so much gold in there. So I uh, really appreciate you being on the show. Thanks, thanks. Appreciate it. Speak soon. All right. This has been another episode of the Billion Dollar Broker podcast. There's three ways if you want to stay in contact. One, subscribe to the podcast on any of your favorite uh, podcast channels, also available on YouTube. Uh, secondly, join our Facebook group. It's uh, Billion Dollar Broker for Mortgage Brokers. Uh, if you're not already a part of it, jump on that. And if you'd like to work with myself in one of our coaching programs, go to billiondollarbroker.com.au and fill out the contact us. And uh, I'd love to have a quick meeting and see how I can help. Until next time, I'll see you soon.